We are, this is the fourth and final message in this series from Deuteronomy 6, talking about the next generation, our future, protecting our future, investing. How are we going to protect our future? We protect our future by investing in the next generation. That's how we are going to protect our future. And this is what has been on my heart over these last four weeks as we've gone through this series. So we are going to conclude, and next week, we're going to be, next Sunday, we're going to start a journey through Second Peter, through the book of Second Peter. We went through First Peter uh, before we got into this series on, uh, on the next generation, but we're going to go to Second to Second Peter. That's going to be about seven or eight weeks long. Walk through that book verse by verse and see what the Lord is going to speak to us. I am really looking forward to Second Peter. There are some wonderful truths that I think are very timely for us to think about and talk about as we go through Second Peter. So be looking forward to that next week. So we are concluding this series, and we're going to look at two different sections in Deuteronomy 6. But before we get into that, I want to go before the Lord in prayer and ask that God would help me to be a blessing to you and that you would have hearts to receive what the Lord would have to say to you. Lord, we come before you this morning and and we do thank you for the privilege of gathering together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, what a great joy it, it is that we can gather and worship on the Lord's day. This is the Lord's day set aside first day of the week to honor you. And Lord, I just pray that you would help everyone here today to have ears to hear and hearts to receive your word. As we look at Deuteronomy 6, as we conclude this series on protecting our future and thinking about our kids and the next generation. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to open my mouth, to preach your word, and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I read an article Recently, it was published last week, and the article was on a, a major news website. And the article was titled, Why More Women Are Deciding to Not Have Kids. Why More Women Are Deciding to Not Have Kids. So, what I'm going to do is, I was going to try to paraphrase and let, explain to you what the article said. I'm just going to read it to you because I think you need to hear. I'm not going to read the whole article. I'm going to I've picked some sections. Three women, three represent three couples, and I just want you to hear. Diana Volek is now 37 and doesn't see herself changing her mind. Not having children gives her a sense of freedom that her friends who are parents don't have. And now that they're vaccinated, she and her husband have been able to eat at restaurants attend concerts, and travel without the worry of putting a child's life at risk. They can work toward retiring early, a goal that would be otherwise unattainable in a city as expensive as theirs. And in their day-to-day life, they have plenty of time for themselves. Since 2007, the nation's birth rate has been declining about 2% each year on average. Despite early speculation about a pandemic baby boom, The coronavirus crisis accelerated the the decline even further, with births falling by 4% last year. It was the largest annual decline in in the number of births since 1973. Cecilia Sanders, a 32 year old project manager in Chicago, was sure early on that she didn't want children. It felt like too great of a responsibility, and the idea of pregnancy scared her. Still, she says she felt pressured to feel differently as though she would be disappointing others by not having kids. For about a year, she tried to force herself to change her mind, talking to friends who were parents about their experiences and how they made time for themselves. As it turns out, her friends didn't have time for themselves. Their kids, they said, came first. Sanders realized that sacrificing her own needs to fulfill her duty as a parent would be especially taxing for her. She grapples with anxiety and depression, and when those conditions flare up, even taking care of herself becomes challenging. The thought of raising children while still preserving her mental health seemed near impossible. Now that she's, now that she's 35 and been married for four years, Jordan Levy says she and her husband have realized they prefer their current lifestyle. They own a condo and are loving parents to their dog. And though they both earn a comfortable living, they'd rather spend their money on the things that they love. We are really happy in our life. We love to travel. We love to cook. 
we both really value our alone time and, and that self-care. I think we would be perfectly fine parents. I just don't think we would enjoy it. For Sanders, not having kids allows her time to pursue all of her interests, which are riding, playing guitar, hiking, traveling, and rescuing animals. It also means that she can focus more on her career, which for her is the most important thing. I definitely feel I probably wouldn't be as far in my career as I am now, and I wouldn't have been able to just live my normal life and pursue my hobbies and passions. I wouldn't be living my fullest life. So when I read the article last week, at the end of last week, yesterday, I thought, this is my introduction. And I think this perfectly represents the narcissism of our society. These these adults, these women who are grown with careers, these men with beards and a job, have been stuck in adolescence. Now, there are some people who cannot have kids biologically. There are some people who, who, for whatever reason, that's not been able to take place, but these are seemingly people who could have kids, but they're choosing to not have kids because they want to do what they want to do. And they really, I summarize the three reasons why they don't want to have kids. And the summary is this. Kids will get in the way of mental health, retiring early, and pursuing the hobbies we want to pursue. And I would agree. <laughs> they, get away. they get in the way of mental health. Oh, Lord, help us. <laughs> retiring early. Look, it's true. And the hobbies you want to pursue. But do you notice what is underlying in all that is said here? Kids are a bother. Kids get in the way. Kids, kids crimp my style. I can't buy what I want to buy. I can't go where, where I want to go. It's completely opposite of what God says about children. Look at Psalm 127. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. They're not a burden. It's a reward. Children are like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. So children are a heritage. They're a reward. They're like arrows. And if you have them, you are blessed. Amen. Amen. You are blessed. This is what we're up against when it comes to God's design for marriage and family. And this article perfectly represents the trend that our country has been going in for decades and decades and decades now. We don't, we don't believe in the design, the biblical design for marriage. We don't believe in the biblical design for family. God said to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth, not with boats and cars and hobbies and retirement, but to fill the earth with children, to multiply a godly heritage. I'm a little passionate right now. This is what God has commanded, but everything in this culture is pushing us away from God's design. This is what we're up against. And we talked about that in week one of this series. We are up against a war for the souls of our kids, not only for the ones that are living, but for the ones that could be living. We are in a war. And if you don't believe it, if you don't believe it and you don't see it, that this society is progressing further and further, this society, American culture, you go back in time, go back 100 years, go back 50 years in this culture. The biblical view of marriage and family was the central view in America. But it is no longer the central view. It is whatever view you want. It's whatever view you want. And you know who's at the center of the view of reality and marriage and family, all that? You know who's who's at the center of all of that? It's humanity. It's man. It's man's ideas. It's what man wants. That's what's at the center. Not God, not his plan, not his ways, not biblical reality of marriage and family and the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
We are progressively moving away. We are, we are, way, we are a post-Christian country today. And so this is what we we're up against. This is what we looked at in week one. We looked at the immense challenge it is to raise children in a post-Christian culture. And if we as parents don't realize that there is a war going on for the soul of our children, it is time to wake up and engage in this battle of worldviews. So battle of worldviews, a worldview be- uh, that, that's a biblical worldview versus a secular, atheistic, narcissistic, satanic worldview. Which one? We, we, have to, we have to be engaged. We also talked about in week two about how our lives as parents, if we are engaged in the battle, the way in which we live our life, the way in which we demonstrate a biblical worldview in the life of our kids is going to have great impact. And the opposite of that is true. That if we, if we live contradictory, duplicitous lives, then our kids are going to follow that pattern. And then we looked at last week, we looked at last week about how we have to give diligent instruction to our kids. Do you remember last week? That we diligently instruct them when we wake up, when we lie down, when we're at the table, when we're on the way, we diligently instruct our kids. And we're trying to take the biblical real worldview, the view of God and his word, the view of biblical view of marriage and family and sexuality and, and the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're trying to take that like, like an inscriber, an, an engraver would engrave a name on a trophy so it would be permanently engraved and etched on that trophy. That's what we're trying to do on the minds and the hearts of our kids. Do you believe that here today? So today we're going to conclude, and I believe this is the final piece to the puzzle, obviously not the ultimate final piece, but the final piece for this series that we're going to look at in Deuteronomy 6 as to how we are to protect our future. And this text really brings it out in very profound ways about how we are going to protect the future of our kids as we're living in a post-Christian culture. So the the way that we're going to do it is, I have to ask you a question. How's your memory here today? How's your memory? Did you know your memory is a big part of how you're going to protect the future for, you, for our kids, for the next generation? How, how's your memory? Mine is really bad. Really, really bad. I'll give you an example of how bad my memory is. So I got invited to go on the TV program um, a uh, week and a half ago or so. And it was just... You know, I never heard of the guy. I started researching him. He's, you know, he's on Daystar or something like that. And they wanted to do, they've been doing interviews with pastors across America since the pandemic started just to allow them to share what is on their heart. And so I thought, well, I get to pick the topic. So this is great. I say whatever I want to say. And that's great. And so I scheduled for August the, um, the 13th, which is a Friday at 10 a.m. I scheduled to be on this live program. We were going to share it on social media. You guys could have tuned in and watched it live. And on Wednesday night at 1030, I, was, I woke up and I said, Estelle, I can't, I can't be on TV uh, on Friday at 10 a.m. I'm at Home of Christian Chapel preaching the first chapel for the high school. That has been scheduled for six weeks. It's been on my calendar every day. We've talked about it almost every staff meeting. How's your memory? Is it better than mine? Mine's really bad. So I had to send an email to the producer of the show and say, I apologize. I am so sorry. I just, I dropped the ball on that one. But how is our memory in greater realities? And this is what we're going to look at here today. So let's look at the text. I'm going to look at two sections in Deuteronomy 6. We're going to read both those sections and we're going to unpack this. So here's the first section, Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 12. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Did you hear that? Houses you didn't build. Good, great and good cities you did not build. Houses full of good things that you did not fill. Cisterns you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat of all those things and you, and you receive the blessings of all those things that you had nothing to do with, 
Take care, lest you forget the Lord. So the first reality is this. When it comes to not forgetting the Lord, self-sufficiency will cause us to forget God. Self-sufficiency will cause us to forget God. Notice what the text says here to God's people. When God brings you into the land... With great cities you didn't build, houses full of things you did not fill, cisterns you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees you did not plant. Take care that you do not forget. Now if you remember in the first week, and I've talked about it every week since, you remember in Judges 2, the basis of this series leading into Deuteronomy 6 is that before Judges 2 came, and these commandments are coming, these commandments are coming before Judges 2, you get to Judges 2, this is after the Joshua generation had come into the promised land. What does, what does it say? It says there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. What had happened? It got lost in translation from the grandparents to the parents to the children. It got lost in translation of what God had done. One generation had forgotten. Hey, you didn't dig those cisterns. You didn't build those houses. The land flowing with milk and honey, you didn't provide that for yourself. And so whenever you forget, when we forget as the leading generation, as the parents, the grandparents, the great-grandparents, and we don't let that be the, the overarching message with which we communicate to our kids, we will forget, and then they will certainly forget. And then later on in Judges 2, it says that the generation that came after, they abandoned the God of their fathers. Notice two chapters later, Deuteronomy 8, the Lord says again, take care lest you forget the Lord, your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have good houses built and live in them and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Verse 17 and 18 of Deuteronomy 8. Beware lest you say in your heart. Do you know your, your heart can talk? The heart is the deepest place of, of who you are, right? It's the seat of all of your emotions. And it's, it's, it's where what you really believe comes out. So it says this. Take care lest you say in your heart at the depths of who you are. It's my power and the might of my hand that have gotten me this well. You shall remember the Lord, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. A self-sufficient, self-made mindset is the enemy of humility, and it is the height of pride. All of us are standing on someone's shoulders, are we not? All of us are standing on someone's shoulder. None of us are self-made. The greatest entrepreneur in here, the greatest businessman that has ever lived, everyone that has ever accomplished anything in this life that we would consider to be good and successful and prosperous, everyone has stood on someone else's shoulders and can look back and can say, it was not my might or my strength or my power. But the height of pride says it was me. It was me. And this is what the Lord is warning against. Self-sufficiency, a self-sufficient, prideful attitude of the heart will cause us to forget the Lord. Self-sufficiency. How often are we tempted to believe that, that we are able in our own strength to do anything for the Lord? How often are we tempted to forget that it is God who gives us the power to provide for ourselves and our families? I think about that so often. It, it, it is God who wakes me up every day. It's God who wakes me up. It's God who gives breath in my lungs so I can get up, so I can work, so I can provide, so I can shepherd God's people, so I can lead this church. It is God who gives me the, the strength to be a, a godly husband, a godly father. It is God who gives me the strength to do everything that I do. I was at a Bible study yesterday, a CrossFit Bible study. I remember my, my, my brother, Jody Rodriguez, right here. Would you wave, Jody? This is my brother, this is my, my friend Jody. He gave a Bible study yesterday at CrossFit Homebrew. And excellent Bible study on the resurrection of 
not only of the Lord, but that we will rise one day as believers in Jesus Christ. Right? Isn't that the promise? Isn't this what this is all about? That heaven's our home. It's coming one day. <laughs> you can so come quickly, right? Amen. But they, they, they wanted, as a symbol of death and resurrection, we were doing what was called wall balls. Anybody ever done a wall ball? Not many. I did five of them yesterday. The idea was you'd do 52 of them. You'd take a ball that has some weight to it, and you would squat <laughs> all the way down, and then you would, a lot further down than I just did, squat all the way down, and then you would throw it up against the wall, and it would hit, and you'd come down and catch it in a squat, and you'd do that 52 times. I realized in that moment I didn't have strength. I realized in that moment that my body was not conditioned to do 52 wall balls. I stopped at five or six. Right? We, we learn very quickly when we're in weak moments that it is God who gives us strength. I love the song, Great Are You, Lord. It's one of my favorite worship songs. Listen to the lyrics of this song. Speaking to God. You give life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. That is so profound of a lyric right there. Think about how prideful it is that anybody in this life that has breath in their lungs would not praise God. Think about that. Every person on this planet that has breath in their lungs, it is, it is a pride-filled position for them to think that that breath came only from within them because of themselves. But it is the height of genuine, true, pure worship when we can look up to our God and we can recognize that the very breath in my lungs comes from you. So the least that I can do is to praise you, to worship you, to exalt you. It is your breath in our lungs. So we will pour out our praise. We are not self-sufficient. I've got a three and a half year old named Lincoln. Lincoln, Lincoln loves to help daddy out. Anytime I talk about working, he wants to, he wants to get his screwdrivers and he's like, not all my kids were like this, but Lincoln, he knows he can, I can ask him to grab a flathead or a Phillips and he can grab the right one. And when he goes to work, he gets the screwdriver and he pokes out his lips. That's his like his work, his focus while he's doing the screwdriver. So a while back, we got a bunk bed to put together for him in his bedroom, came from Target. You know, no bunk beds from Target come assembled, do they? No, you got to put it together. So me and Lincoln, I told, I brought the box in. As soon as he saw the box, he knew it was work. So he's ready to get to work. And he goes, he gets his screwdriver. I got my drill. And so he wants to, to help me. But it is no help. It is no help. But it is such a wonderful blessing. Because he's right there with me. And so he'll, he'll want to do every screw. And so you know how they got those Allen wrenches that come in the, in the packet. So we, we got the Allen wrench and we got the screwdriver. And he'll have his hand on it. And he figured out he knows which way to turn. Righty tighty, lefty loosey. He's got it. I've, I've trained him, right? So he's turning to the right to tighten it. But if I'm not there with him, this bunk bed is not going to get built. Is that not true? It would still be disassembled right now. That is how it is in our life. We are like Lincoln. Our hands may be on the screwdriver and we may be turning it to the right. We may be going in the right direction. We may be doing all that we are called to do by God's word. We may be following God's will and God's plan for our life. But my brothers and my sisters, it is God's hand that is over our hands turning the screwdriver. It is him that is turning it. I love what... Paul says in Philippians 2, therefore, my beloved, if you've always obeyed, as you have always obeyed, so now, not, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. People get tripped, o- tripped up over that. What does that mean? Work out my salvation. I thought it was by grace. It most certainly is. And how do I know that? Verse 13 says, for it is God who works in you, both to will 
and to work for his good pleasure. It's not us. Self-sufficiency stinks of pride. And when we are self-sufficient, we forget our God. Our Christian life is not lived out in the power of our strength. Though we have responsibility, we must always remember that it is God who works in us. He's turning the screwdriver. We may be obeying and, and following the path of righteousness, but it's him who is giving us the power. And the next generation forgetting God, as we've seen in this country, doesn't happen overnight. It does not happen overnight. It's a slow fade that begins with the grandparents and the parents, the great-grandparents and the grandparents and the, the parents of living self-sufficient lives and not remembering to remind ourselves and our kids that it is God who is the one who gives us strength. So how do we reinforce to the next generation our dependence and trust in the Lord? Here's some practical ways in which we reinforce. We must prioritize family worship at home. This is so important. How are we going to demonstrate to our kids that we are dependent on the Lord? We must prioritize family worship at home. Parents, it's not easy. We've got a 15-year-old down to a three-and-a-half-year-old. You know, we've got to kind of get a hybrid mix there of attention span, and, and we kind of have to work with what we got. But, but you learn, you adapt, but it's about putting that priority. We are not going to forget the Lord our God. We're going to prioritize family prayer and worship. We're going to sit at the dinner table. We're going to talk about the Lord. We're going to pray. We're going to disciple. Another way is a commitment to worship with the family of God. Are your kids going to go to church when they're 18, 19, 20, 21, 22? When they're married with kids? Are they going to go to church? I don't know. That's between them and the Lord. But I, I do know that there is an increase of possibility that if, if you, there's a greater reality, greater possibility that if you demonstrate to your kids the priority of putting God first on Sunday mornings by attending church, your children are going to see that pattern and God will begin to work that into their hearts. And they may have a season where they stray from it, but they know, they know you set that pattern. You brought them to church. You showed them, you led them. This is what we do. We will not forget God. Do you know that's what it says when you come in here on Sundays? When you walk through those doors, the first thing that you're saying when you step foot out of that car and you walk through that door, what it is communicating is, God, we're not forgetting you. First day of the week, we're honoring you. First day of the week, we're putting you first. It's powerful, and your kids will see it. Another way is by putting God first in our finances. Your kids need to see. We need to do this. For ourselves, but also for our kids, for future, for blessings of future generations, that we put God first in our finances. That we recognize that all of the wealth that we have, all the provision comes from God. So we say yes to putting our God first in our finances. We will give to the house of the Lord. We will give to foreign missions. We will give to those that are in need. So these things and many others continually remind and teach us. And teach our kids that God comes first. And without him, we couldn't and wouldn't be able to do anything worthwhile for his glory. Do you believe that? Have you ever heard somebody say, I got this? Have you ever heard somebody say, I I got this? Or maybe you've told somebody, you got this. You're trying to pump them up, right? You got this. You can do it. I heard... I heard something on April 13th, 2020, the day after Easter Sunday. I heard soon-to-be former governor of New York State, Andrew Cuomo, say something that made, made me cringe and fearful for his life, his soul. You remember back during that time, this is April 13th, so this has been the first couple of months of the pandemic And the phrase was, flatten the curve, flatten the curve, flatten the curve. And we didn't realize there was four other curves that were coming later, but we were flattening the curve, right? And so New York State flattened the curve. And so in a press conference, Andrew Cuomo was asked basically this idea, what about prayer? What about God? Andrew Cuomo, I quote, said this, the number is down because we brought the number down. God did not do that. We did that. 
know what the Bible says? That God resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. Self-sufficiency will cause us to forget the Lord and to believe that we did it. That we did it. No, we didn't do it. Self-sufficiency is, is, a, is the foundation of pride. If it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, where would we be? The second reality in this text. So firstly, we cannot have self-sufficient attitudes and self-sufficient mindsets. They will cause us to live our life like God is not the one that is the source of all good things in our life. Secondly, look back at the text, Deuteronomy 6, verses 20 through 23. When your son asks you in times, in times to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. It's so good. What does this show us? It shows us secondly here today, how are we not going to forget? By recounting God's faithfulness. Recounting God's faithfulness builds faith for the future. Recounting God's faithfulness builds faith for the future. Notice what the text is saying here. The kids are going to come. Your son, your daughter is going to come and ask you, Mom, Dad, Papa, Mama, why do, you, why do you believe like you believe? Why do we follow the Lord? Why do we follow the Lord? And, and, and he's saying, the text is saying here, here's how you're to talk. Here's what you're to say. Specifically to them, to the nation of Israel, they're to say, we were in Egypt. We were slaves, but God brought us out. What would that conversation sound like with our kids and our grandkids here today? Come here. Sit down. Let me talk to you for a couple moments here. Let me tell you. You want to know why I follow the Lord? You want to know why I believe in the word of God? Sit down. Let me talk to you. I was a slave to sin, but now I'm not. I was addicted but now I'm not. I was controlled by fear, but now I'm not. I was lost to living life my way, but now I'm not. I was narcissistic, narcissistic and living by the passions of my flesh, but God rescued me and showed me my need for a savior. He forgave me. I used to not have peace, but now I have peace. I used to not have hope for the future, but now I have hope. Son, do you want to know why? Daughter, do you want to know why? This is what God has done. What are you doing when you're doing that? You're recounting God's faithfulness. You, do you want to know why? It used to be. Do you remember? You may have forgotten because you were too young to remember, but, but we didn't have money to pay our bills that one day. And somebody came knocking on the door and said, hey, the Lord prompted my heart to come and, and give you this check. God has been faithful over and over and over again. And I'm just throwing out hypothetical circumstances or situations, but all of us have many more like that, that we can testify, that we can look at our kids when they come in times to come and say, why do you believe God? Why do you follow God? Recounting God's faithfulness, it builds faith for the future. One commentary puts it like this. Remembering the past plays a vital role in the identity of any nation. Sociologists claim that a society aspiring to endure must become a community of memory and hope. God repeatedly directed ancient Israel to set up monuments and to enact rituals such as the Passover. Each tribute marked a significant historical memory that would offer future hope for the nation that God had claimed as his own. There's a direct connection between memory and hope. Memory and hope. God was faithful, therefore I have hope. God always provided, therefore I have hope. In the middle of uncertainty, in the middle of fear, I can look back, I can recount, I can point back to my kids, to my grandkids, to myself. I can remember back, God, you have always come through. You have always been faithful. And this is what, this is what God commanded the nation of Israel to do. Right before they get into the promised land, they have to cross the river Jordan. Do you remember the story? The river was at high tide. It was overflowing its banks. It was a raging river. 
And God did a miracle. And he caused him to cross through on dry land just like he did the Red Sea when he brought him out of Egypt. And what did God instruct the nation of Israel to do? To get a stone. One stone for every tribe. Twelve stones. A stone of remembrance. Look at Joshua chapter 4. The people came out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month. And they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in time to come. You remember what we just read? What do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. God was faithful. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. As the Lord your God did to the Red Sea. When he dried up for us until we passed over. So that all the peoples of the earth may know. That the hand of the Lord is mighty. Amen. Why do, why do we recount the blessings and the, the faithfulness of God? That, the, that our children might know. That the world might know. That the hand of our God is mighty. Amen. That you may fear the Lord your God forever. The pile of 12 stones reminded Israel of what God had done for them. That he cared for his people. That he kept his promises. And he went before them in victory to conquer the land of their inheritance. The 12 stones reminded them that God would take care of them. Because he took care of them in the past. This is the message of the stones that declared to Israel. And this is what they say to us today. So we can't quit telling those stories of God's faithfulness. What are your stories? What are your stones of remembrance? You can't quit telling the stories to yourself. And to your kids. The stories build your faith. And the faith of future generations. That what God did before. He can do what? He can do it again. What God did before. He can do it again. So I would, I would say this. As we've looked at. This time that we've all been in. I would describe this time. In our country. That's a time of lament. What does it mean to lament? It means it's a term for mourning. But it's a deep, deep mourning to the depths of who we are. We are lamenting. It's a time of lament in our country. Do you see that? Obviously you see it. Right? And maybe for you personally, it's, it's a, been a great season, a, 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 a big season of lament and mourning in your life. And I think what we need more than ever It's to remember the faithfulness of our God. That his hand is still mighty to save. His hand is still mighty to deliver. He is still on the throne. He has not stopped ruling and reigning. And and he is still building his church. And we must recount the faithfulness of God to the future generation. The prophet Jeremiah said this in Lamentations 3. He has made my teeth grind on gravel. And made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have no peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. You ever been there? What does it mean to be happy? I do not know. And so this is what the prophet Jeremiah says. So I say to myself, my endurance has perished. No strength. No peace. No happiness. No hope. And so has my hope from the Lord. Now I think these last 18 months, that's what it's done for a lot of people, right? And pulling away peace and hope and happiness. And causing us to forget the faithfulness of God. And all we see is what is in front of us. And the way, listen, the way we will protect our future is to rise up as leaders and to say, no more. No more. We're done. Are you done? I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm finished. I'm finished. I'm done. We're moving forward. We're we're, we're reminding ourselves of what God has done. And we're going to continue to advance the gospel, right? This is what builds hope for the future. Listen, our country, is. this is a great difficulty that we're going through for the last 18 months. It's going to go on for the rest of this year, right? This is a great difficulty, but this is not the greatest thing our country has ever gone through. But what did the prophet Jeremiah say? My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. 
But this I what? Call to mind. Remember. Recount. Recount. This I call to mind. Therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. What are we calling to mind? His steadfast love, it never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Amen? That brings hope for the future generations. That's how we protect the future. We rise above the fray. We hold on to our faith. We cast down the doubt. We quit living in fear. We protect the future by guarding them from the satanic lies of the culture. And we feed them biblical worldviews. But we hold on to faith and trust and belief in the middle of the storm. This I call to mind. Recounting God's faithfulness builds faith for the future. So I want to talk about the future of our church and of our school so first, before we go to the church side, there's some slides. You don't, don't put them up yet for the church, but I just want to mention this. I spoke at the chapel because I didn't forget that I had to go speak at the chapel. And I went and spoke at the chapel on Friday. And I just want to tell you this. I had such a sense of God's purpose from the moment I walked on that campus at 8 something in the morning. I walk in, and I've spoken at Home of Christian Chapel over the last seven plus years, at least once a year. Spoken many times there. And I'll be honest, it has always been one of the most challenging crowds to speak to, 7th through 12th graders. I only made it for nine months as a youth pastor (laughs) years ago. And so it it has always been a difficult crowd for me to preach to. But man, from the moment I stepped on that campus and I started preaching to those students, I just felt such pleasure, the pleasure of God, the peace of God, the purpose of God. And I'm devoting the first nine weeks to me preaching at the chapel. And I'm going to bring direct leadership to the high school chapel there at Home of Christian. And we're going to build a team that's going to continue to to preach God's word there as it has always done. But I felt that the Lord really called me to come at the beginning of this year and to begin to really take what the Lord's placed in my heart and to bring it there week in and week out. And it was wonderful. And, and I want you to know that we are going to be expanding, Lord willing, by God's grace, we're going to be expanding and building some new buildings for the school. The, the school purchased six acres that are between um, the school and the YMCA. So if you're on Valhai and you're, you're looking at the school, to the left of the school, there's six acres there that are open. And we purchased that last year. And... We're, we're going to build. And so it's going to be a project that the school and the community is going to work together to build. We, we have some, a team that's being built. And I genuinely believe that within the next year or so that you're going to begin to see some things moving there at Home of Christian School. And we're going to build a new gymnasium that can house uh, uh, some, some high school classrooms. And I think there's going to be a, a Votech that's going to come there. Uh, there, there's some wealthy donors in the community that want to put a lot of money into having a, a, a Votech-type trade school there on Home of Christian's campus. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you a little bit of it. We, we've really been doing this with, with Mr. Jimmy and, and a team there um, that's working together. Um, the school hired um, um, a, a group from New Orleans that comes in and helps with building projects. And it's coming, I believe, Lord willing. If the Lord wants it, I have no stress. We're not going to borrow millions, millions of dollars to do it. If we're going to build it, God's going to bring it in. So, so, so I am convinced, and so just on the school side, I am convinced that private Christian school is going to be more in need now than it ever has been. So we're not pulling back. We're doubling down. We're believing to double down. Because even... Parents who are not believers in Jesus Christ, they, they want their kids to be taught the biblical view of gender and sexuality. They want their kids to be taught real American history. Right? And so they may not be Christians, but you, but, but you know what it ends up becoming? Uh, an amazing opportunity, as it has been for many decades, for us to evangelize those families, evangelize those kids. So that, that's on the school side. On the church side. I have some pictures. These are some, some ideas. We, we met with the architect that's working on, with the school. We came to the church side. And, and, you know, this building that we're sitting on here was built over a 10 or 12-year period. It was built debt-free. Debt 
God was faithful to, to bring in the finances over, over that period. I think the property here was bought in 1999. And it's 90 acres. It's such a great blessing from the Lord. We didn't build it. God did. Right? And so everything was done to be debt free. And so I, I don't want to sound critical of anything about the building. But we have found, and it, it happened when Pastor Renee was still here, that we found that the, the space for our kids is not the size that we really need. There's, there's, it's really limited with what we can do here. When, when we have more people here and it's not a COVID season, typically we could have between 90 and 100 plus kids that are in that fellowship hall. And that fellowship hall capacity is about 100 and so you got workers there and kids. That's where our children's church is, okay? So that's one aspect. And then our classrooms, our classroom sizes for our little ones. When, you know, we, we might have, you know, 15 to 20 kids in there, two or three, three-year-olds in one classroom that is designed for probably 10 or 12, okay? And so we want to really reinvest into this side. But also we have a lighthouse where the youth meet. And the youth have been meeting there since that lighthouse was built in 1990. 5, 97, 98, somewhere in the mid to late 90s. And that's where the youth have been meeting since then. And so it's off of Valhai there. And it's been a great resource for us. But that's been over 20 plus years or longer of that building. And I believe it's time to reinvest, to build a new state-of-the-art place for our kids to come and to build it here. So let's put up the pictures so you can see. I'm sorry this projector for whatever reason, uh, we need to reinvest, uh, but it didn't. It uh, didn't work. Okay. All right. So let me explain to you what... Look, this is just a, a concept. This is what we've been working with. They gave me this pointer, and I don't know if it works. Let's see. There it is. Okay. It, looks, it makes me look more professional, right, when I have a pointer? All right. So obviously, this is Thibodeau, right? So this is the front of the building. So when you pull in, you come into the sanctuary... All right, so this is the existing building. Let's put up the, the other slide that shows, that highlights the existing. So this is the current building, right? This is the fellowship hall. This is exactly what we have right now. So this is going to be what we are proposing. It's 15,000 more square feet right here. It will, right here is the fellowship hall, will go from 100 to 215 seats. Um, these are extra classrooms, all right here. This would be the new children's check-in. So you'd pull, you could be, you could, you, you could come in through here. You could, you go in through here and check in, or you could pull around the side, come and check in. Then we go to more classrooms. This space right here, it, it's kind of hard to tell, but this is actually all open. These are not, these walls have arches. This is a big game room. It's, I think it's like 3,000 square feet right here. This is big. And then this is just open area with couches and tables and just a nice common area for kids to come and hang out. And then it goes down the hallway here into the fellowship hall. Um, big commercial kitchen right here. Um, and then this is a sanctuary that would be for children's church. But would also be for the lighthouse on Wednesdays. And it's supposed to seat anywhere from two to 300, 250 to 300. So it, would, it could double as um, a place where weddings take place. Uh, men's meetings and women's meetings and just... There's just so many things that we, that we could do here to, to expand, to bring our youth out from the lighthouse over onto this campus, give them a new building that will be for the future, have bigger classrooms. If you, if you notice, these classrooms, are, are, there's more classrooms, but they're a lot bigger than some of these other classrooms here. So we're adding more space there. Um, so let's go, let's go to what it could look like on the outside. These are just some general pictures. Um, so this would be the, again, this is not, We've not settled anything on the look. This is just some thoughts. So this would be the entrance for the lighthouse, for Children's Church. Over here would be uh, the check-in going in. Let's go to the next slide. Just a different thought there. Let's go to the next one. That one's pretty cool looking. Um, Let's go to the next. This is cool right here. So this is the front of our building here. I love this right here. This is a playground. And wouldn't that be amazing to have a nice playground right there? When people pull in, they see that we really value and care for our kids here. The first thing they see is a, a playground with nice trees and a play set and all that up front. Uh, so you can kind of see where, where the wing is added here. So we're, we'll eat up some of our parking spot here, but we'll, we'll be able to make up back here for some more parking spaces. This is a general thought. So we went through all that. 
We asked the architect, so what's that going to cost? Um, he said about $6 million. Just so you know, this building cost $8 million, but that was a long time ago. <laughs> so $6 million for 15,000 square feet. Obviously, if, if we got 2 or $3 million, we're, we're doing something, right? So I just have to be honest with you. This seems quite impossible to me. I thought about that this morning as I was going to share this vision. It seems quite impossible to me. But I have to remind myself of where I'm standing. Right? I had to remind myself of where I'm standing. That this, to the previous generation, some that are still a part of this church, it would have seemed greatly impossible. How can we build this building, this 1,800-seat building, debt-free? Seems quite impossible. So I just, it's a desire that's in our heart that we want to be able to reinvest into the future. We're not going to borrow money to, to build this. We're just, I'm putting out the vision. I don't know how long it's going to take as the Lord leads you, guides you. You can start donating to the, to the building fund. Um, and we'll just go from there. And we'll, we'll just see what the Lord provides and what he does. One of the first steps is we have to have plans drawn. So that's going to cost a hundred something thousand dollars approximately to get some plans drawn for, for this project. And then there's going to be some survey work that's got to be done. So it's just, it can kind of all be done in stages and a, a process, but I'm putting it out there. I'm casting the vision. I want to reinvest in our, in our school. I would love to see that happen. The finances are going to take place separate from what we're doing here, but I want to reinvest here. I want to build a new building for our kids. I want to expand the space back there because I want to see our future uh, where we can have opportunities to I- increase the opportunities to reach our kids. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. All right. Was there anything else? Was that the, was that the last slides? I think that was the last slides. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Here's some insides. Again, this could, this, there's all kinds of things we can do. We have not decided anything, but this, this could be something. This would be like the game room there. Let's go to the next slide. That's that general common area, right? Isn't that, wouldn't that, look at, this is how big the space would look when you, when you would come in. It'd be wonderful for our kids to come on Wednesday nights, have a little coffee shop there, hang out. Kids need that space to hang out and to fellowship. So those are just some concepts. Amen. Yes, God. All right. You are faithful. You are good. And so, Lord, we, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for, for, we thank you for your goodness. God, I thank you for your faithfulness in your people here today. And each and every person is represented faithful to save, faithful to deliver, faithful to heal, faithful to give hope and a future. God, I pray that we would rise up as a generation and we would declare the goodness of the Lord to our children, to our children's children, and that, and that the heritage of the godly would endure for generations to come. And God, we thank you for your faithfulness to Living Word Church. Over 40 years of faithfulness to this church, to grow the church, to build the church, to give us the, the opportunities that we have at this location, but also at Homer Christian School. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you, God, that you give us vision for the future to continue to move forward and to cast vision and to trust you to do the impossible, to trust you to give us more opportunities to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so God, I just pray a blessing over every single person and every single family here today. And I just pray, God, that we would leave today filled with hope, filled with hope for the future because we remember the past. We remember what you have done. And so therefore, we have hope for the future. And we believe that, that truly, The best is yet to come because you are faithful and because you are good. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. I love you and I'll see you next week.